From the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Susan Morris. With me in the studio tonight is our mom, Susan Esterly, along with Stanford students Laura, Danny, and Leah. We have a terrific show lined up for you tonight. The students will go on the hot seat, and the moms and students will answer our listeners' emails. We'll also examine the nature of the lie. When is not telling the whole story just stretching the truth a little bit? And when is it lying? We welcome callers. So during the program, if you have a question or comment about what we're talking about, give us a call at 650-723-9010. We begin tonight's show with a look at budgets. Most of us know full well why we should have one. A budget gives us better control and understanding of our finances. So what's not to like about that? Well, reining in our spending habits is easier said than done. Much easier, in fact. And as a pundit once said, budgets take the fun out of money. Our guest today is Mary Morrison, a regular member of our panel. Mary is also a financial aid officer at Stanford. She has her MBA from Santa Clara University and teaches a very popular class on financial literacy. Mary, you talk to students a lot about money. Yes, I do. What percentage of them do you think has a budget? Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? Yes. I don't I've I've ever talked to a college student who had actually had a budget. No, that's not true. I know one very anal young man who had an extremely (laughs) detailed budget, including how many pairs of socks he wore out over a six month period. But putting him aside as an outlier, most people don't have budgets. Well, what what do you see as the biggest roadblock for students and uh, others <laughs> to make a budget? Yeah, and, others. And yes, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And and to stick to it. Budgets are. You at one point you said you were going to call this show our our budgets hopelessly old fashioned or out of date or something. So I think people think of their grandma having a budget or you know that was what you had to do back in the old days. So when I teach my class, I tell them although I'm having them do a budget for a year. I call it a cash flow analysis, and they all think it's really neat because that's, that sounds more, you know, high financy. So it's the same kind of idea. Oh, my gosh. That sounds dreadful to me. But, okay, give us give us some basics. Before we ask the students to ask some money problem questions of you, can you tell us what some basics are of budget making and follow up on it? The, for most of us, we don't have the option to decide what we want to spend and then go out and get the money. It's the other way around. And people often have a very unclear picture of what their actual income is going to be. Even when they have a job, they don't know what their real paycheck is going to be, how much money might come from other sources. And so that you have to know what you're starting with in order to know what, how much to budget, how to budget it. What's the X? What's the figure? And people right there have trouble knowing what their what they really have to deal with. Well, I would imagine for students in particular, but for others of us, if you have an undependable source of income, your parents give you money when they feel like it, or or you have freelance work and you don't know how much work you're going to have, so you don't often know how, how much right. income. I think people who work on contract or... Uh, sales, you know, commissions and so on, have a diff- very difficult time with budgets until they've had a few years under their belt when they, you know, know how things come ebb and flow. And how do you deal with that? And and students who don't know always how much their parents are going to give them. Right. Um, I assume I, that's a problem sometimes. 
Yeah, it can be a problem, particularly in this day and age. We've had lots of students come into our office and say, Mom and Dad thought they were going to be able to provide me with this amount of money. As it turns out, my dad's you know, been laid off or he's, his sales commissions have gone down and they don't have it anymore. So you can have, you yes, your income can fluctuate. But back to the question about budgeting, most of us have some idea of what we're going to get. And we don't want to really write it down on a piece of paper and look at that figure as a cold, hard figure. I've got to live with this amount of money because this is probably what I'm going to have. That that it takes, it's like writing a th- term paper and writing that first sentence. You know, you sit there and stare at the blank page. You don't want to write down that number. It's, the reality is too horrifying for some people. Like <laughs> you are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Our guest is Mary Morrison, a financial aid officer at Stanford. And at the table with me is our other mother, Susan Esterly, and Danny, Leah, and Laura. All right, I'm going to open this up. Students, do you have any questions for our money expert? Um, So this is Laura, and I am taking a 13th quarter at Stanford, and I'm looking for a job uh, as of right now to, I guess, you know, pay for everything come January. But, uh, you know, considering the markets right now, I don't know what kind of job I'll be getting if I can get a job in January. Mm -hmm. And I have maybe a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Um, but to last me between now and then, and it's just it's so uncertain. It was just what That's you were right. saying. Yeah. And so, what kind of rules of thumb should I be considering when I'm trying to budget out these next few months? Well, one of the as as people leaving college, one of the big decisions they have to make is where they're going to live. And even if you your your first job, I have this wonderful job in Manhattan being offered to me, which of course one of the most expensive places in America. Uh, and it's, their job sounds so fabulous, but when they find out what the cost of living is in Manhattan, that fabulous salary. So you ha- and then what would happen if you lost your first job in Manhattan because the investment bank you work for <laughs> closed down? <laughs> would you have to leave Manhattan? Would if you wanted to stay in Manhattan, what other kind of what kind of expenses would you've already obligated yourself to by signing a lease for a year? Uh, and so those are those are big decisions to make. Uh, I try to because I come from the Midwest. I make jokes in my class. You really ought to move to Kansas City or Topeka or <laughs> Minneapolis. These places are cheap, and all these kids from the California roll their eyes and think, you know. But really, you can make you can make a big decision right there if you put yourself in part of the country where it's less expensive to live. But then, aren't the salaries also lower too? Right, but it, it depends on. Yes, the salaries would be lower, but I think that in you can really live a better lifestyle for as you know for economically speaking if you pick a place that isn't the most expensive place in North America, you know, because you're not as a young person you're not going to get the top job probably unless you're a sports hero or something when you go right out of college. Mary, we have an email question here, and the student wants to know, what should I do with extra money that I have? Should I pay off my debts? And if I do that, what happens to my credit? Well, you have a good credit score if you pay off your debts and you pay them off in a timely manner. Keeping a lot of debt doesn't do your credit score a lot of good particularly. They want to know if you you handle debt well. If you incur debt and you pay off debt. Then, then you look good. And they, they're not going to say, oh, he paid it off six months earlier. That's bad. No, no, they're going to look at you as a responsible person who knows how to handle debt. But if you get rid then, of all your credit cards, though, that... that could... But that's a different subject. If you actually close the cards, they're going to look and see how much credit you have on all your cards together. And does that seem like a reasonable amount for a person in your position? That's, that also is another factor in your credit score. Okay. So in other words, don't close your credit cards, but don't 
have these outrageous balances that well and the question is what are you going to do with your money otherwise you can put in the bank and earn two percent or pay off your credit cards where you're paying nine ten or eleven twelve percent interest there's no reason to put money in a bank and earn two when you're paying out nine. Right, that, exactly. It doesn't work right. Well, where do you recommend that people put extra money? I mean, in the stock well, gee, market? This today? hasn't happened to me for so long that I <laughs> hardly know how to answer it. Extra money. Um, no, but for a... But for it depends a, on you talking about what time, what the time frame is you're going to need the money. If you're graduating from college like Gloria is and she's going to work maybe two years and then go get her PhD, she's going to need her money in a fairly short time frame. If she's not intending, she's intending to not need her money until she's my age, she's got decades and decades and decades to earn money. Mm-hmm. So yes, she should put money in the stock market, even if it's low, mm-hmm. because she's got 40 years of, of you know, yeah. of coming and going to handle. But if she needs the money in two years, that's, you know, you have to put it in a safe place. So it doesn't. And what's a safe place today? Well, your you, could even, you could even put it, yeah. <laughs> you could even put it in a plain old savings account if you have 100000 and the government will insure it. <laughs> as unglamorous as that sounds, if you're going to need it in a short time frame. Right. You right. know, it's, this yeah. is the time to make, making a killing and short time frames don't go together usually, you know. Oh. Well, what are the ways that students often get in over their heads? Financially speaking, you mean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not emotionally, not physically, but yes, financially. Well, by not thinking about uh, what might happen, that, that, we have some off nervous Nellies who, oh my gosh, what will happen if I this that? No, but I mean they haven't even thought in a long enough time frame to realize that in six months they're going to have to pay more for their car insurance, some boring thing like that. Or when they move into an apartment, they'll have to put one month down and pay the first month's rent. And that's going to be a big, huge hit, and it's only eight months away from when they're where they are now. So they're only thinking, well, look at my wallet. Gee, that'll get me. I, I'm pretty flushed. I've got several thousand dollars. But they're not thinking long enough. Um, there's a, I'm going to butcher this expression, but it's not original to me, that said that um, a rich man plans for three generations and a poor man plans through Saturday night. <laughs> and uh, I butchered it a little bit. So I'm trying to get the students to think at least a year out. What's all the possible things you're going to really, really, truly have to want to spend money on in a year? And where's that money going to come from? It's not going to just pop into your pocket. Some big, like I have to get the tires replaced in my car. That money's not going to magically appear in your wallet the week before you need to do it. You have to start thinking about how long, how you're going to do that. Now, should students be saving a certain percentage of their income for emergencies? I, I, I would, yeah. Well, there's two schools of thought on that. If you have debt, you probably should be paying down your debt. And then if you have your credit cards in good shape, if there is an emergency, like you suddenly have to fly east for a funeral or something, you can charge it. If a real emergency arose, uh, you you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily need to keep a lot of money at two percent for the day when you have to fly east for a funeral. Uh, so that's one school of thought. You could use your credit if you really, really used it for emergencies. But of course, we don't do that. We use it for Nordstrom sales and buying pizzas, and we don't really use our credit cards for <laughs> emergencies. So, Mary, if you're budgeting out everything and you've you know put all the numbers out and you realize you're going to be a little bit short, yes. Um, where is the first place that you recommend people start cutting things? Well, you, there's, you have to decide what you need and what you want. And all of us, although how long we live, and some of us are very old, we have trouble with that. You know, if you tell me I had to live without Netflix, you know, I would just go berserk right now. That would be, that's the, my, my quality of life and my little life, you know, it's modest that it is. But that's not something I need. It's something I really, really want. And so I'd have to sit down and say, you know, if I things got really tight, 
you know, would I, would I cut that out or would I go see my family one time less a year or whatever? So you have to decide what you, and it's very, we, we have trouble, all of us, with what we need and what we want. It's very clear to see what other people need, <laughs> but in ourselves, it's a little harder to, uh, to, to face that. Oh, yeah. I need more Mercedes Benzes. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Right. I need to go see my friend in Pacific Grove, and I love to drive down there, but it costs me X dollars every time I go. But can you also approach it from a different way? Like, Laura, you could put up a flyer in my neighborhood that says, you know, babysitting. And leave your number, and you get 20 bucks an hour to have fun with little kids for a while. And you could just, like, do that a couple nights a week, and before you know it, I mean, that's pretty good money. And it's you could say yes or no. I mean, like so maybe being resourceful in the generation of but trying money. to get more income is your point instead yeah. of cutting your expenses. Yeah. Why go the yeah. deprivation route? Well, it, nice work if you can get it. That's why I say um, I've talked to two people. With, with, oh, I'll just come up with the money. I'll figure out a way in quotes to get another thousand dollars by December. Well, sometimes it doesn't work. You know. Their plans don't work out the way they think. And we also, another thing in planning is you have to figure that you might actually get sick sometimes. You might actually miss out on some things that you thought would bring you income because you just couldn't do it. Other people in your family might intervene and require your time instead of your work. So all those kinds of things, until you've lived a little bit of life, it's hard to know how much that's going to happen to you. So in the meantime... uh we can practice our poker skills to rapidly generate large amounts of money. <laughs> I have a quick question about credit cards. I've been lucky enough to not need one so far, uh-huh. but I've been told that I should get one so that I have credit. Yes. I agree with that. And also, if you're going to go out and you're going to graduate from Stanford soon and go out and get a job, for example, I have to go to a meeting in October 1st in Southern California for my job. I have to charge the ticket and I get paid back when I come back. You know, it is, it's my personal credit card that's buying me the ticket to go down there and come back. I don't use a credit card that belongs to the company. And that's more common than people realize, that you, you, you drive your car and buy gas for your job, and then they give you back the mileage at the end of the month. You have to have a way to to cover yourself, or you get someplace in your stock, and you want to leave or something. You need to have a credit card, and you need to know how to use it. Sensibly, it's like learning to drink right without going <laughs> overboard. You know, you right. learn how to use it. Mary, that, we all have uh, credit card horror stories. Mary, yeah. that's a, a good topic for us to talk about next time: how we can learn how to drink and not use <laughs> credit cards. Thank Don't you. use your credit card for buying drinks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for your money tips. Our guest, Mary Morrison, financial aid officer at Stanford University. In the upcoming segment, Mary will join the panel as a mother. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll hear what our panel of moms and students have to say about budgets and money. If you'd like to join our conversation, give us a call at 650-723-9010 or send an email to mothers at kzsu.stanford.edu. I'm Susan Morris. This is What Would Your Mother Say? We'll be right back. If you're just joining us, our topic is money. There's a lot of secrecy around the subject of money. People will talk more openly about their sex life than they will about their income. Why do you think this is so? Is it because there's shame that we don't have more money? Or is there envy, wishing that you had as much money as a friend or another family? Who's, who wants to get out there and tell me, yes, Danny? 
Um, I don't know. I think if you, um, you know, if one person makes more money than the other, it's kind of like creates this hierarchy. You know, one person is better than the other person. It's like like IQ scores. One person is smarter than the other person. Just this absolute measurement kind of thing. And I think people don't like to create those divisions between themselves, and it's it's not polite to do so in, in some ways. However, I don't I don't think disclosing your income is that big of a deal. Some people do, though. I mean, well, of course. Yeah. Well, now tell me, going back to, it, it, um, isn't sex more personal than money? Well, I mean, it's something that you know, everyone does. That's everyone does oh, sex. Yes, I mean, everyone has sex. Okay. It's it's. I, I guess the problem with income is that it, it it creates these differences between people, whereas you know your sex life doesn't. Mm-hmm. At least that's my theory. It's not like you have a figure put on your, your sex performance, you know? <laughs> I also think well. there's, a, there's a sense that people are looking for different things um, when it comes to relationships. And there are people who, you know, my friends have been dating that I think, oh, they're great for them, but I wouldn't want to date them. Whereas there's a sense that everyone sort of wants more money, right? Or not. But maybe that's not true, but there's a sense there mm-hmm. that you can compare much e- more easily when you have a number figure. Okay. Okay. So it's not... Explain that to me again. It's not good manners to compare. No, say say that again. I'm missing it. There's a sense always that you, when you say I make this amount of money, and you make this amount of money plus that, that there's um, it's like you had a, a real way to compare what someone else makes versus what you make. When in fact that's not true because you may love your job more than they do, right? They may have hated their life for ten hours that day. But you sort of ignore that. Once you have a numerical figure, you tr- you focus in on that, you hone in, and you ignore the nuance. And I think mm-hmm. the nuance is much more readily apparent in an interpersonal relationships than it is in something that has a number figure attached to it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's much more uh, objective rather than subjective, you know. But then I think some people flaunt how much money they make. They don't right. subscribe to the. It's sort of rude to, mm-hmm. you know, you should be humble about how much you make. So they, you know, they wear you know, clothes or jewelry or purses or whatever that everyone has agreed sort of, you know, as a cultural thing to be considered really expensive and really great. I don't think the really, really rich people do that, though. No. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough. But there's know, a I mean, flaunting thing to it. Or, oh, you know, what yeah. car you have. I don't right. know. My, my husband had um, spent the weekend with um, two venture capitalists, and he said it was a really amazing conversation because they just talked about where they vacationed. And they vacationed in very impl- impressive places. Uh-huh. It was just like mm-hmm. they were trying to one-up each other. Well, that's boorish people are mm-hmm. all over. But, uh, you know, I, I talked <laughs> to... Very rich, boorish people. Right, right. I talked to lots of families in my job, and there's, I think people feel more inadequate about money, oddly enough, than sex. I think they might mm-hmm. say, I have wonderful sex life, but I wish I could earn more money. I, I think that, <laughs> and I, the true story, I had a student come in and tell me that his mother was unemployed and his father now didn't have as much work as they used to, and they're going to cut back on their family and they might need help. And he said, since we've had, since our family income was 425000 last year, and it's only going to be 300000 in the coming year, we just don't think we're going to make it. Oh, my uh, gosh. Unquote. Wow. So what did you say? I said, well, you only have one quarter to go at Stanford. It only costs 15000 <laughs> You'll probably make it. <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, my parents don't think they can cover it because they've had these financial reversals. And I said, you can borrow 15000 I don't think he thought I was very nice to him. but mm-hmm. uh, I w- So even those people, is my point, feel inadequate somehow about what they're doing. Crazy. You know, it's... Yeah. 
Well, now listen, I want to give you a quote. To understand someone, find out how he spends his money. Do you think that spending habits say something about people, a person? Laura? Oh, definitely. I mean, back to what Mary was saying earlier, it's, you know, about where you live is, is a part of where, how you spend your money. Do you, you know, pay money for the, the penthouse or do you scrap and save for the, you know, the cozy little hole in the wall? Um, what do you do for recreation, et cetera? You know, are you content with just, you know, buying a book every couple, you know, weeks or so, or do you go to spend, you know, get bottle service at the local, you know, ritzy club? Well, have you ever yeah. been surprised by a friend's purchase? Or the way they spend money? I mean, I think one thing that I'm always constantly surprised by is, like, what people do for vacations. You know, um, I had a couple of friends who decided to go to Cancun for spring break, which was, you know, common enough. But when they tell me about the hotel that they were going at and, like, what they were doing at the clubs and and the, yeah, getting massages every day. I mean, it was just oh. it was the kind of decadent kind of lifestyle. I'm just like, my jaw drops. And I'm like, really? <laughs> were wow. They pay, were they paying for those with money they had earned themselves or with their parents' money? With their parents' money. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. That's Good, easy money to spend. One thing I have to, the students do in their cash flow analysis that in my class I teach, I have them actually figure out what it costs to take a one week vacation. And very few people, uh, young people, know that. You know, they they don't, they only put it in the hotel or they only the hotel and food. I said, well, how'd you get to this place? Oh, yeah, I have to have a plane ticket. I mean, they haven't thought through the whole <laughs> the whole thing. Now, you know? that's not yeah. true of seniors, though, right? I mean, you can understand freshmen. But no, se- I'm talking about seniors. You're that's exactly what I'm talking seniors about. Seniors are still baffled well, by That's exactly oh, what I'm talking about. Oh, wow. Well, I've never dealt with anything like that. Exactly. So how, how would I know? Exactly. Well, that's true. Exactly. That's, that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, have you ever been surprised by something that you purchased, if that makes sense. I mean, that you you found yourself spending a lot more money on something because you really wanted it. You couldn't necessarily afford it. Yes, Laura. <laughs> I, I do shopping therapy. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I had some really hard classes last last year, and you know, in order to get myself out of it, like or just this funk that I was feeling, I, I think I bought a three hundred dollar pair of jeans. It was ridiculous. I don't know why, but it made me feel better for the time being. But for how long? Well, they're a pair of jeans. Okay, but you still love them. Maybe you got the value out of them. Well, That's a lot of money to pay for a pair of jeans. I know. Do they fit really well? They do. They do. So, I mean, it's a great pair of jeans, but I mean, really, $300? Like, I can go, you know, down to the local store and, and buy, you know, a pair of jeans, and it costs, you know, one-sixth of that or something. And, but you and know meth- what? Methamphetamine is a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, there's no greater feeling than walking into a store or a mall and saying I got everything I wanted and nothing else. And I think for me, the Mm -hmm. second half of that sentence is even more important than the first half. But um, I think as far as spending habits, it depends. I don't like spending so much money on something that it affects my interpersonal relationships. I've been thinking about, for example, I bought a number of suits because I'm going into my senior year and I want to do interviews. And one of my friends spilled something on one of my suits that I had just bought and of course paid quite a bit for and it's important because I want to get a good job and I I was trying very hard not to be angry with him but you know I want to say this is a friend I've had at Stanford for three years and this is a piece of cloth right but I think when you spend more money on things it can really if anything threatens those objects you that's not okay with me to value an object above a friend but uh, but it happens when you spend more money on things. Gee, well, I have a question, uh, Leah. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Uh, what did you do? You just said, oh, whatever. You're a good friend, and I don't mind that you just spilled. Did he offer to 
pay for he it. offered to pay for the dry cleaning. Oh, oh well, so, there you go. That's so a good mm-hmm. response. That worked out. Um, that worked out in the end. But but it was a very scary moment of me saying, well, what is my value system? Who am I? And how am I going to let one or two or three hundred dollars threaten who I think I am? to value a friend or over an object. It was a big deal. Boy, I'm over the hill because I'm not sure I would even think about that. <laughs> well, I'd be mad. I, I want to play devil's advocate here. With um, Okay, so an object versus a friend, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that, so $300, Mm-hmm. All right, it's a, it's, you say it's just a figure. But, I mean, I remember when I was working at Starbucks, and that's, you know, how many hours of work that I put in and how many customers I had to deal with that had attitudes. Like, when I invest money into something, those are those are hours spent. So I think that, you know, you do get kind of emotionally attached to the things that you spend money on because it's your life kind of in object form. Well, some people also. just attach to objects, period, mm-hmm. more than they are to people. My, my dear late mother-in-law, God rest her soul, uh, she would, we'd walk across your carpet and she would follow you and wipe out your foot tracks because she didn't <laughs> want the, and then when we, our, our son came, who was her grandson, of course he was a little kid and he would touch things and she would just go crazy walking around trying to make it so he didn't like anybody had touched her stuff. I mean, the woman was completely out there, you know, and, but she had a much happier relationship with the her possessions than she did with her family. Mm-hmm. Yes, Danny. Well, I don't know. I feel with cases like that, the issue though isn't necessarily like money the issue is respect it's like if you step all over my stuff you know um you know spill spill things on my clothes and don't offer to fix it then you don't respect me you don't respect my um you don't respect my 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 values you i i feel it goes something deeper you know now yeah, well, it would be easy to certainly take it to where you're thinking that. Did you? But your friend did this by accident, and he did offer to right. pay for it. But there are people, though. I've seen this happen, and I've had it happen where they've they've damaged something that you own, and they're very casual about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. and you don't want to bring it to you know, you don't want to end the friendship or get ugly about it. But it's, um, I know someone who who left a, a raincoat at someone's house, and. Um, called a couple of days later and and they said yeah we have your raincoat and we'll put it in um in the garage so you mm-hmm. can just come over and pick it up and and by the time she went to pick up her raincoat the garbage men had taken the bag that the raincoat had been in oh. and the person was was like oh well you know sorry <laughs> sort of like geez yeah. no no commitment there yeah well listen we are going to take a short break And when we come back, we're going to take a look at non-truths. When are our misstatements lies, and when are they just stretching the truth? We will be right back. Don't touch that dial. From the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm Susan Morris. Here in the KZSU studio with me tonight are Stanford students Laura, Danny, Leah, and Mickey, along with mom Susan Esterly and Mary Morrison. We have a great show lined up for you. The students will go on our hot seat and we'll ask the mother's responses and we'll have emails from listeners. We'll also be taking calls, so if you have a question or would like to comment on the subject, call us at the 650 
We begin with a look at lies as we head into the final stages of the presidential campaign. The subject is particularly apropos. Both candidates are claiming the other is lying. In fact, the political ads are so strident and accusatory that we could easily conclude that neither candidate knows the difference between a lie and a non-truth. Panel, when you hear or read about charges that a politician is lying, what do you think? Laura, when you hear about charges that a politician is lying, what do you think? Well, my problem with, you know, this whole lying thing is, I mean, again, I, I just don't know who to trust. I mean, media is is well known for stretching things for, you know, and, and who's doing the lying? Is it the media? Is it the is it the people, the, the candidates themselves? I don't know. But also, I, I always feel like there's all these nuances and details that could be construed certain ways, and I just feel like I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Does it, who who feels the same way at the table? Danny, do you feel that you you can't trust the New York Times? Uh, no, I feel I can trust the New York Times. But... You must be a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> do you trust Fox News? Uh, I trust it, but I, I feel in some ways, you know, the the language they use kind of distorts things a little bit. Yeah. Inflammatory. Exactly. But then isn't that a lie? Is a distortion a lie? No, I, I feel it's just interjecting your own opinion, which is sloppy journalism. I mean, and, and one, I guess, I guess New York Times does that in some cases, too. Uh, I see that in a lot of places. Well, what I've noticed is a lot of news is no longer news. It's opinions, and it's passed right. off as news. Right. And you're going, wait a minute, how do they know? They say, Senator McCain believes, blah, 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 and you think, Excuse me, how do you know what Senator McCain believes? I mean, this is like um, ridiculous. We do have a caller. Uh, Ron is on the phone. And hi, Ron, are you there? <laughs> hi, Ron. Yeah. yeah, hi, Ron, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. What's on your... my commute home. <laughs> Good. What's your question? Say that again? What's your question? Well, it's more than a response to politicians lying. I mean, we're electing these officials, and really, what is it they're covering up? And why do we want them in office if they've got something to cover up? Well, that's a good question. But uh, So what do you think when you hear that a politician is probably lying? Oh, they're lying. <laughs> do you say- I, think, I think Barack Obama is probably telling more truth than not. Um, I think that he's probably being coached by his people to you know, say certain things. Um, but as far as as far as the other people go, I think they say what they need to say, and I think they're lying about everything. How do you think that impacts the general attitude toward lying in general when we, our leaders are telling? Well, I, I, I really think, like, case in point with what's going on with the finances, I think people just are fed up. I mean, I'm personally fed up, and I think that nobody knows what to believe anymore. You know, here our, our president is saying he's going, he's doing something that he doesn't believe in, but he thinks that he has to do something. I, you know, I think he made this mess on purpose. Oh, you do? I think, on it's purpose? A, I think it's another cover-up and hence another lie, and I think that... Um, they know what they're doing. So you think it's a, it's something that in, would ensure McCain's win? Is that what you're suggesting? Um, no, no, far from it. I think it's just for him and for him and his people to just keep, you know, 
coming out ahead. And, you know, it's how many how many businesses has this man ran into the ground and now he's ran a country in the ground? So I, it's not right. And it, it's just, you know, we put our faith and our hope in, in these people that we elect. And consequently, I really think if they're lying, they should be removed. Yeah, well, we we hope that's going to happen soon. Listen, thank you so much for calling. My pleasure. <laughs> I hope Carl Rowe goes to jail. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. We have a caller who left a message saying that he would like the panel to talk about the difference between spinning something and lying. What do you all think? Back, I want to get off politics for a while because um, I think that we all do this in our daily activities. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me how so and so did while uh, an employee did while they were on vacation. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. now what should I do? Should I whip out every mistake this person made while they were gone? Should I say it was all right, even though I was somewhat dissatisfied? I mean, how do you how do you describe a complex set of behavior thoroughly? And if I said, you know, it was excellent, maybe that would be a lie because it wasn't excellent. But how, you know, they wanted to know how things went. And I sort of put a spin on it because I didn't think we needed to spend more time on that and just sort of got off of it. So is a lie then something with the, the intent to deceive, whereas a spin is just something where you can just kind of take the, the truth and kind of manipulate Strike. it to try to get the, the result that you want? Yes, I, th- I don't think that's a bad description. It's marketing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I always yeah. say you can't lie about facts, but you can about causality, and that's a that's a sticky one. I you can always prove something's a lie if you have a factual contradiction, but you know if you say, "Oh, friend of mine, I came all the way over here to visit you," when maybe you went to visit you know another friend upstairs, but you ran into them on the way on the hallway, and you don't want them to be put off, you know. So I, there are some things that can be proven one way and some things that can't. And that's where I, I think there's a differentiation between causality and facts. So you can lie if you won't get caught? Right. It's not. It's, it's, well, there's a question of whether you're looking at outcomes or intent. Yes. That's a, always a moral question when you evaluate if someone was well-meaning. But so the question is, can you lie about your intent, even if it ends up in a good outcome? Does it matter anyway? Who I originally came to visit if I end up visiting both friends, right? Is it is it just a, a moot point? Well, well I, I feel that um, well, you should be as truthful as possible because in certain situations, if you you know change your intent, say you have a different intent, then maybe someone will buy it. But if you keep on doing things like that, people will eventually stop buying it, and it, it's it's kind of like you you inflate your uh, you, you know you um uh, how can I express that. Um, basically, people begin to trust you less. Calling wolf. So, so there's benefit to to always telling the truth because if you do, people will know to take you exactly at your word. I, I feel the effects of it are subtle and important. Well, this is interesting. Do you what, really want they... someone to always tell you the truth? Like, I feel well, like most of the time, there's a oh, well, not most of the time, but a lot of times, I don't really want to hear the truth in its like blunt form. Like, well, go ahead and sugarcoat it for me. I'm okay with that. Like, I, I feel I feel a good answer for that is is just keeping your mouth shut. You know, there are certain things that just don't need to be said, or if they are said, say them as nicely as possible without you well, know, back changing to what, any of the facts. My, bo- my example of my boss saying, "How did so and so do while I was on vacation?" That's exactly right. I don't know that she wants 
really wanted me to say, right. <laughs> all right, the next thing you need to do is get rid of this guy. Because A, I didn't think that. And B, so I just sort of said, oh, fine, you know. And in a way, I was lying because it wasn't all that fine. But but it wasn't significantly it wasn't bad significant enough. enough. You're right, exactly. So you, know? you, so you wouldn't... Guess- you wouldn't be damaged mm-hmm. by not revealing that right. this and person... Right, it wasn't... We didn't need to have time or the place to sit yeah. down and discuss it yeah. in great detail then, you well, know. Well, the other uh, thing is whether... Like, when you say it was fine, are you saying it was fine, like, everything pursued as normal? Or are you saying, like, their progress was fine? Like, mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job. So, like, there's also, like, a hidden meaning there, too. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, well, and a lot of it is based on... You're kind of expected to say it's fine. So, in that case, even if... Is a little bit below, you know, that's, it, it's like, it, it's understand by both parties that, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily going to be the absolute truth. The question is, how was your weekend? How do you answer that question? <laughs> it's like, my weekend was awful, <laughs> awful. just like this random stranger. Tell them you know? all 15 different things that happened to you. Right, exactly. They don't want to know that. Well, just say mm-hmm. fine, you know. Mm-hmm. That says, <laughs> I don't have anything positive to say, kind of, so, yeah, exactly. People have been asking me how I've been doing, and they're going, oh, who? I'm sorry I asked. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, all right, now I have a, a hot question, a hot seat situation for you, and I want the students to answer, and then I want the moms to give their opinions. Uh, but listeners, you are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? And on the panel with me is Susan Esterly and Mary Morrison, the two moms, and students Danny, Leah, Laura, and Mickey. All right. Here's the first one. Would you ever lie under oath? No. Your parent or sibling is on trial and you wouldn't lie? That's a really hard one. I think I think if, if the end was end was good, like if I, I don't feel they would be should be put in pre- prison... I think it would lie, actually. But if you knew they should be in prison, but they're your parents or your your siblings. Hmm. I I really don't know. I'd have to think about that long and hard. It is tough because you know a lot of people go up there and they lie. You know, right? The uh, guy who was the Unabomber's brother, wasn't it, that turned him in? Right. I mean, that's a really great example to discuss at some length. What would you do? Yes. What would you do in exchange for him not getting executed? So maybe he was looking out for his. Yeah. Brother's best interest in the long yeah. run. Okay, who would lie to the clergy? Who doesn't? I'm not lie? religious, <laughs> so <laughs> sure, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Brother, any... have you remained pure? Oh, yes, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> tells the clergy truth at all, is my question. <laughs> Look, the clergy lie. <laughs> I mean, right? We've. Oh, wow. My brother-in-law is a Lutheran pastor, and this is one of his big complaints. He, he never can get people to tell him anything honest. Well, right. he's exaggerating, but, you know, it's like, how are we? Oh, everything's so bl- They get this benign smile on their face, and, it's, you know, <laughs> and he can't really find out. It takes a lot of work to find out what's really going on because everyone's so nice, and make, he just hates it. Well, did, did I, it, go oh, ahead. I've heard stories of people who intentionally go to confessional just to, you know, lie to the, <laughs> you know, the priest just because they want to get a rise out of him. Sure. I think in the end, it's not between you and the clergy; it's between you and God. So that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like you—you know—you're lying to yourself. Okay. What constitutes lying on a resume? Hmm. 
I feel anything that I don't feel I could talk about at length, articulately and accurately, I don't want to put on the resume. Even if it if it's a slight stretch, I need to be able to speak to what I put there. Very mm-hmm. honest. So interesting story about that. I actually had a friend who was, was the worst interview she's ever had, and she put on her she took a computer science 105 here, which is kind of introductory, you know, learn how to do HTML websites, that kind of thing. She puts that on her resume, and she's having a really bad day, really bad interview, and it. Towards the end, it says, well, you know, um, it says here that you know uh, HTML. And she says to the guy, you know, um, so I don't really. It's just one of those things that, you know, you kind of just put on your resume. (laughs) Oh, oh, she did not get a job offer. She actually did, which is the surprising part. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, here's a scenario. You tell your significant other that you spent Saturday night with the girls when, in fact, you did spend Saturday night with the girls at the clubs. Mm-hmm. Is that called lying or stretching the truth? You're, you're implying your husband would care where you were with the girls? <laughs> no, this isn't me. No, <laughs> it's a student. Oh, it's student. Oh, it's student. Okay. Well, it depends what you do at the clubs. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, no, but the point is you don't mention that to You leave the, out significant oh. parts of the evening in your description of what you did yes. is what you're saying. Yes. Is that lying? It's not being very forthcoming. It's making your life a lot simpler. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You borrow a bracelet or a sweater or whatever from a roommate or friend, and you lose it. The friend forgets that she loaned you the item and says something like, darn, I can't find that bracelet. Do you tell her that you lost it or hope she never remembers that she gave it to you? Oh, no. Oh, no. She will no. remember eventually. <laughs> yeah. Bad and Th- then down bad the road, it gets tactic. worse, right? Uh-huh. I would say you buy her another bracelet, and yes. when you give her the bracelet, you say, you know, I never told you, but I lost well, yours, yeah, no. but I hope that this makes it up. No. Do you, do you, or you just give it back. You just say, like, if you lost it already. No, you've lost it, though. No, no, no. I'm just saying you get, you, get, you know, get one exactly like it. You know, just say, like, oh, I forgot that I had this, and they don't even know that you lost it. Sounds Sounds good. Okay. Uh, but dicey, right? But Mary, that's interesting. You wouldn't try to kind of skim over that one. And... No, I don't think so. Because really what don't. would you gain? Yes. Oh, well, you'd postpone <laughs> no. the verdict that you're. It would, well, be, about... it would make you look worse the longer it took for you to come forth with some information. If you told them right away, the next day, it's one thing. If you wait six months and say, "Oh, I forgot, I've lost your bracelet," you know, it's like. <laughs> well, well, what if what, what if she him. never finds out though? But yeah, but you don't know that. Oh, and you walk around with this fear. I, it, right. Yeah, I think it depends on the degree to which you feel guilt. I mean, I cannot. My, I have. I don't have enough mental health in me <laughs> from a starting point to be able to handle that much. And every time you guilt. saw this friend, you'd remember the bracelet. She's fallen mm-hmm. forgotten it, but you still remember it, right? Every mm-hmm. time you see them, it, it would hurt the friendship. Yeah. Okay. One last one. Your best friend theorizes theorizes out loud that she thinks her boyfriend is cheating. Do you tell her the truth? He is, or or change the subject. Tell her. Yeah, tell her. Mm-hmm. Or ask her what makes her think that, and maybe mm-hmm. get into a uh, discussion that makes she could draw okay. her own All conclusion. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a better. That was my gut reaction was to tell. But, but you I want like her to that. know. You yeah. want her to know. Yeah, Mary, what do you think? Yes, you have to let her know. Oh, I don't agree with. If you know, well, if you, you know, that? I don't agree with. I would not. I would not tell her. Why? So you want her her boyfriend to cheat on her? No, is she cheating I... with you or is she cheating with someone else? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that does change it. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. I I just do not 
want to tell someone. If someone asks you a direct question, you'd lie to them then. You'd say, I don't think so, or no, absolutely not, even if you knew to, to be a lie. I would avoid saying, yeah, he's cheating, and I know who he's cheating with, and he's a bum, and blah, 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 blah. I would I would say, you know, it's something that um, I, I really can't. I don't know how I'd say it, but I would not tell her. Well, I, maybe you could go the route of what makes you say that. Well, I would be livid, for one thing, if people... A friend had, didn't tell oh, you. If they didn't would, tell me, and then I found out a month later. That, that, they that would seriously damage my friendship. Oh, yeah. It's like, you, you can't tell me these things. You can't, you know, protect me, like... Aren't we like well, who, who's your strongest allegiance here? You know. Yeah, well, I guess you'd have to be sure of it. Oh yes, I'm uh, presumption. This conversation is you're absolutely sure of your information. Well, I had a situation where a friend took. We were talking long distance, and it was like New Year's Eve, and and she, at the beginning of her conversation, her husband had arrived, and she said, "Oh hi," and toward the end. She's saying goodbye to her husband. He said, oh, where is he going? New Year's Eve. And she said, oh, he's going up to our cabin somewhere. And I said, uh, how's your marriage? I mean, what's going on? And she said, it turns out he was going across town to his girlfriend. And, uh, she said, I was the only person who raised any comments. And she said, a lot of her friends knew that he was cheating because they saw him with this woman. But um, I didn't know. I had no idea that he was doing anything, so I felt. But if I had known, I might have been like the other friends, just sort of. Oh, no, I would never, ever. Really? You think it's your obligation to tell someone that they're being. No, I don't think I'd walk in the room and say, your husband's cheating on you. But that was the premise you put, you put forward. You said if they asked you, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the premise? Mm-hmm. If they well, asked you. Well, actually, um, she was theorizing out loud. So she wasn't being that direct. Yeah, but still, she wanted your your feedback. I would feel like I was implicitly supporting That's right. cheating right. if I didn't I agree with call you. it. I absolutely agree with wow. you. Wow. Well, on Boy. that note, we're going to take a short break. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to have emails from our listeners. Join the fun. Call us. The number is 650-723-9010. I'm Susan Morris, and you're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. From the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm your host, Susan Morris. If you're just tuning into the show, we're taking emails from listeners and giving our take on them. Here in the KZSU studio with me tonight are Stanford students Laura, Danny, Leah, and Mickey, along with mom Susan Esterly and Mary Morrison. All right, are you all set? Here's one. A friend of mine, this relates to our first topic of money. A friend of mine asked what salary I was offered after a recent job interview. Money is very important to him, so I'm not comfortable with him knowing how much I make or will make. I told him that I don't normally discuss salaries with friends, and he seemed put off by it. Am I being too uptight? Danny, what do you think? Would you, if someone asked you point blank how much you were making? Uh, I mean, I'd tell him. I don't think that. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't really care too much about money. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. But, you know, I, I guess it each, like there's no right or wrong answer. It each depends on the person, how they feel about money. Laura? For me, it depends on why they're asking. Um, I know some friends will ask me, like, well, what what did you sign for? Because they themselves are negotiating contracts and they kind of want to know what the going rate is. And that's, I have no problem with that. But if someone just wants to know so that they can, you know, gain value from being better than me or they want to like, or I'll feel guilty because I'm making more than them. That's, that's an entirely different thing. But if it, if me telling them benefits them, then 
that's fine. And it could help with a negotiation. Mary, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, it's, I think, I, well, it depends on who's asking. You know, if it's just a casual person that you meet, uh, you know, I remember when I bought my house, we, my husband and I were standing on the street looking at our new home and these people walked by and said, how much did you pay for your house? <laughs> you know, they were total strangers to us. And, and, and although it was public information, they could have found out by going to this county records. It wasn't mm-hmm. that much of a secret. I, I didn't want to tell them. Okay. I just really didn't think it was appropriate. My best friends asked us how much we pay for our house. And we told them mm-hmm. because, you know, it didn't seem to be such an issue. So I think what you should have done is just given them an exorbitantly high figure. <laughs> $26.5 million. That's one way of dealing with a question like that. Yeah, right. Like, how old are you? Well, the last time I checked, I was 205 yeah, years old. Uh, how old are you? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes, Laura. Uh, Leah. For me, the question is how it's going to affect behavior. Uh, my answer, and I'm going to re- reflect it back to something that's been an issue the whole time I've been at Stanford, which is great. And I have I have almost lost a friendship over grades before. If I have a study buddy that I always study with and I find out they did two points better than me on an exam, I can't even be around them. I oh get gracious. so competitive. Um, I get very, 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 very competitive. And so I, all my friends know I simply won't talk about grades because it poisons my friendships. And that's, that's a character fault in me, but I know it's a character fault. Well, presumably you've worked really hard. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, now how do you feel when you are you get two points higher than your study mate? Well, see, now, yeah, there's a bias there. I feel like, well, I was lucky, you know, because usually if there's, you know, ten topics you study and there's questions on eight of them, I didn't know one of the two that didn't get asked, right? Now, I give you some advice for life after school. <laughs> when they give out raises at the end of the, at the year, annual raises, don't ask what other people get percentage-wise mm-hmm. because some idiot, it's going to get a bigger raise than you, and it will bother <laughs> oh you forever. I can imagine. Right? Are, you, are you with yeah. me, Susan, on that I one? I agree. But, you know, there is a thing, though, that women um, sometimes often don't make the same kind of raise that the, a man does doing equivalent work. And That's by, true. And by not knowing this and having it out on the table, you can live in this dream world that the guy next to you is making the same amount of money as you. Well, my, my, my phrase, some idiot, didn't necessarily mean a man. I mean, Could be a woman. <laughs> well, I think I think as far as pay, there are websites you can go to vault. dot com, all kinds yeah. of websites that tell you what the average salary is coming out of college and in whatever industry you're going into. And mm-hmm. so, I personally will go to one of those websites and have it be something that's third person and um, mm-hmm. not not emotional yeah. for me. Whereas if I ask all my friends, it's going to be very different. Okay. Well, next question. This is from Becky. My older sister is engaged to this guy who's frankly not too smart. She is really brilliant and beautiful, but in the last couple of years, she hasn't had a lot of luck with dating. So I'm worried that she's just marrying this guy because she's afraid she won't find anyone else. I want her to know I think she can do better, but I don't want to insult her if she's really committed to this guy. What should I do? Check to see if she's pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> um i say that from personal experience um it it yeah it definitely they sealed the deal with um you know uh yeah it's, it's interesting no no tell it us sounds what, like a terrible future no. no tell us so what happened i mean give us a scenario i mean they're they're in love um but i mean she she was you know 
salutatorian at my high school and, you know, just beautiful, smart, et cetera. And I mean, she, I guess she needed, um, you know, he, he provided for her some, uh, she's kind of insecure. And so, um, some emotional support and then, um, uh, they weren't careful and now they're married. Hmm. Still married. Still married. It's been, I don't know, a few months. Oh, always oh. been a few months. Let's oh. fast forward 10 oh. years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. I'll be the first to admit I'm not too woman savvy. Um, <laughs> well, but just listen to what the moms <laughs> yeah, exactly, will teach exactly, you. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I mean, I'm sure in that that case, you know, the girl will be at least at some level conscious of that. But maybe just just ask, just get her to talk, just listen, and have her like talk through it. And she might be talking like, you know what, that guy's maybe not so good for me. And I just like keep on getting her and having her talk through it would. I mean, I feel. That'd be much more effective than telling her, yo, he's no good. You should just get defensive and, and not listen to anything you have to say. Susan, do you think that question what, it would be different if it was a young man who had a slightly dim-witted young woman on his arm? I don't know. Danny, what do you think? I'm sorry, what's the question? <laughs> what if, her question was, this girl had mm-hmm. a slightly not-too-bright boyfriend. What if it was a young man who had this, a beautiful but slightly dim-witted young woman on his arm mm-hmm. we have i think we have a double cis you know a double standard here yeah. I, I think that I, it's all right if the woman's slightly mm-hmm. you know not on the ball but if she's you know she'd be marrying beneath her if she picked a, a slightly not so bright guy right but all right um, for who mm-hmm. yes I, I think the guy you know might know but not, might not care until a few years a few years later when the infatuation's over mm-hmm. and he's like this girl is boring to talk to, but you know, in, in the in, in the period, he'd be fine with it. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, it's not too bright, but I don't care. They're good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are running out of time, so I'm going to give one quick email here. My roommate thinks I don't respond well to criticism, but I think my roommate is too critical. She always has something <laughs> negative to say about what I'm wearing or who I'm hanging out with. How should I deal with her? Move. Um. Move. I just like to point out the irony in in that, that question. It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah. So what why, do you do? Why, why swipe it up with this behavior? No matter what they're doing, that really aggravates you. Well, I agree. No, move. No friends yeah. aren't all perfect, you know. You think she she should just get out? Don't bother to try. She didn't to... say she was a friend. She just said it was you as a well, roommate. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you could say lay off, please. I feel like you're too critical. Yeah. Oh, and see what happens. Just do a call. I mean. You know, if it's something that has relate to actually living together, then then it's relevant. It's germane criticism. If it's someone just being mean to you about your clothing that has nothing, you know, if it's don't put your stuff on my side of the room, that's different. Right, that's fair enough. But there's some degree roommates have authority in some things, and other things it it it's not helpful. Okay. Well, we have run out of time. I'd like to thank our panel members, and they include Mary Morrison, and who was also our guest, and Susan Esterly, and Stanford students Laura, Danny, Leah, and Mickey. Thanks for coming on. Terrific job. No, thank you. And before we close, how about a momism for our listeners? Laura? <laughs> Save money. <laughs> Eat those vegetables. Wash behind your ears. Go to bed early. Okay, well, good going. For the record, the opinions you hear on What Would Your Mother Say don't represent those of KZSU or Stanford University. If you'd like to be on the panel or order a CD of tonight's show, go to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.com, and click on the welcome page. For next week's show, check out our website. Today's show was put together with help from our production assistant, Roz Gold-Anwudi, Jack Wong, and KZSU Chief Engineer, Mark Lawrence. Thanks for joining us on What Would Your Mother Say. 
Monday. See you next week. Same time, same station. I'm Susan Morris. And remember, call your mom.